uh, there are things that bring us delight. And each one of us are made individually and differently. And so the things that may bring me delight will be different, perhaps, than the things that bring you delight. But we all have been wired by God to want delight. Every person here has been wired by God to want that which is delightful. And so we look at different things that will delight us. Well, the greatest delight of my life, this side of heaven and my relationship with God, is uh, my wife Edie and my children and my sons-in-law, who we count as children. And also, I don't know if you've heard this, I have a granddaughter and her name is Nora and she is a delight right? And that is God-given delight. It is something that, uh, that God in his common grace has given us. And in the plan and the purposes that he has had for our family, he has united us together so that we might delight in one another as he has designed. Um, but because this whole series on feasting is about food uh, as a metaphor, uh, how that God nourishes our souls so that we might bring him glory, Uh, I I do want you to know that there are foods that bring me delight, Um, but mostly it is chocolate and peanut butter. And uh, it doesn't really matter if you just put uh, peanut butter on the side and a little chocolate uh, bar to dip in it, or if you take the peanut butter and you put it uh, and you wrap the chocolate around it, or if you take the peanut butter and the chocolate and you swirl it together, however you want to combine peanut butter and chocolate, that is the common grace of our dear Lord, and, and, and it is delightful to me. I, I take great delight in peanut butter and chocolate. But God's wired us. Every person here, we've been wired uh, to find delight. Now, here's the problem, and I want you to get this because this formula works for every area of your life. It works in your, in, in your relationships. It works in your work. It works in your own personal being and, uh, and, and things like that. No matter where you are, no matter what, we need to understand this formula. When we have a desire, and we have these desires, all of us have these God-given desires. When we have a desire, And we fulfill that desire the way God is designed, the result will be delight. Okay? All right, so I just, and, and honestly, this is key for us. You have a you have a desire. It's a God given desire, like uh, uh, food for the stomach, love for the heart. You know, we have a desire, a God given desire. And when we fulfill that desire, according to God's design, now how do we know what God's design is? Yeah, the Bible. The Bible tells us God's design. The Spirit of God opens our eyes to see how God has designed uh, us to fulfill that desire in a way that he is uh, demanding. And by the way, if you doubt design, go to Ten Commandments. That That is design. If you doubt design, go Greatest Commandment, uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second likened to it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You don't don't have to know every jot and tittle of Scripture, although I encourage you to do it. But if you know these big things, then that becomes the filter for God's design in fulfilling uh, our desire. So we have a God-given desire. We fulfill it according to God's design. It will always lead and ultimately lead to delight. 
So you have a dating relationship. If you're dating and uh, you have God-given desires in that dating relationship, if you fulfill those desires according to God's design, spoken in his word, uh, delivered in the truth of his word, then you will have delight in that relationship. But the opposite is also true. You have a God-given desire. If you try to fulfill that God-given desire in a way that God has not designed, it will always lead to despair. It will always lead to disaster. It will always lead, ultimately, to devastation. Okay? So this is the formula, and it works in every area of our life. It works, uh, both sides of it work in my life. I've experienced the delight, and I've experienced the despair. I've experienced the delight, and I've experienced the devastation. And it all centers on how we seek to fulfill this God-given desire. When we seek to fulfill a God-given desire according to God's way, we experience delight. If we try to uh, fulfill a God-given desire in a way that's contrary to God's will, then we will experience despair. All right? So... The reason I tell you that is, again, I want us all to be healthy. I mean, one of the things we talked about, really the the purpose of this whole series of messages, is the fact that I know how unhealthy we are. As a church, as followers of Jesus, we're unhealthy. We're unhealthy because we're trying to fulfill, fulfill desires in ways that God has not designed, and we're expecting delight but we just get despair. Look, if your life is filled with fear, constant, overwhelming fear, chances are, I'm not, this isn't universal, but chances are you're trying to fulfill a desire not according to God's design. If you are uh, persistently mean and hateful and filled with bitterness and anger and vitriol toward others, chances are, not universal, but chances are, Uh, You are filled with despair because you're trying to fulfill a God-given desire in a way that God has not designed. If your world is upside down, chaotic to the extreme, then you need to evaluate your world based upon how you're trying to fulfill your God-given desires. Are you fulfilling it by pursuing God's design or some other design? This really does matter. From Genesis to Revelation, we see the stories of men and women who tried to fulfill desires in ways contrary to God's design. And the end result was either delight or despair. And where are you going to be? See, in Isaiah 55, we hear from God himself as he speaks to us about our desire for delight. And he shows us his design to lead to, desi- to delight. And it always flows through his grace. In Isaiah 55, and we'll uh, read it now. If you have your Bibles, turn there. In Isaiah 55, God is inviting everyone who's searching for satisfaction, for delight, uh, to follow this path that he lays out. Now, while you're turning there, let me give you kind of the context. Uh, The prophet Isaiah preached for a really, 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 really long time. And while he, during his preaching ministry, there's a section of that preaching ministry 
uh, called the servant songs or uh, the scriptures on the suffering servant. Now, we know the suffering servant. By the way, suffering servant, Isaiah 53, uh, all we like sheep have gone astray. Uh, Each one of us turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him, the suffering servant, Jesus Christ, the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. All right? So, uh, there's a section in Isaiah's preaching that dealt with the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He's called the suffering servant. Uh, Chapter 55 is the last chapter of this sermon series that Isaiah was preaching on the suffering servant, on the Messiah. And it ends with this universal call for everyone to come to Jesus. I mean, and can I tell you the last point that you're going to hear is come to Jesus? I come to him, and I don't want you to be confused. I I want you to understand whether you're a follower of Jesus trying to follow Jesus or whether you're far from God and don't have a relationship with God because you haven't trusted in Jesus, uh, the key for delight that is divine is to come to Jesus. That, that it just, it's down to that. You got to come to Jesus. And, and, and again, I'm sorry, but it's important to say some things. There is no way that you and I can experience delight in this life apart from faith in Jesus Christ. No, no, no way. Uh, and, And the reason it's important to say this because only Jesus gets us to God and only God can satisfy what we're searching for in our soul. The only one who can really satisfy us and lead us to light is delight is God himself. And Jesus is the only way to get to God. There's no other way. Being good ain't going to get you to God. Uh, being immoral ain't going to get you to God. Being American ain't going to get you to God. Being a Republican ain't going to get you to God. Being a Democrat ain't going to get you to God. Being a Libertarian ain't going to get you to God. Uh, None of those things get you to God. So stop elevating those things as if they're the most important things. The only way we can get to God and the only way we can be satisfied in our soul and the only way that we can experience divine delight every day is by following Jesus. That's it. That's all. I I could quit right now. We would have done service to Isaiah 55, but at least let me read the text. Isaiah 55, all right? Here we go. Verse one. Yay, hey, ho, depending on your translation. Everyone who is thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend money on what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, God says, and eat what is good. And let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me here, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Now, uh, in verse 3, that 
I'll make an everlasting covenant with you, a steady and steadfast covenant. I'll, I'll make a covenant with you that doesn't end, and it's the sure mercies of David that points us to Jesus. When he talks about David here in the context of the suffering servant, he's talking about the Messiah, and the Messiah is Jesus Christ himself. The way we enter into that everlasting covenant with God or the way we enter into God's family is through the sure mercies of David, the Messiah who has come, Jesus who died for our sin upon a cross and was raised from the dead to give us new life. This Jesus is the way that we enter into the family of God and experience the satisfaction that verse one promises. Verse four, indeed, I've given him, and again, this is forecasting. This is looking at not David, the king, it's looking at the Messiah, Jesus, the suffering servant. I've given him uh, as a witness to the people, a leader and a commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord, verse 6, seek the Lord where he may be found, or seek the Lord while he may be found. Again, depending on your translation. Call upon him while he is near. Let's stop right there and let's just talk for a second. Um, the message I really think that in the context of, of this whole section in Isaiah's sermons is that God himself will satisfy our soul through the glorious grace that he provides. That, that God will feed us the divine delights of life through his grace given to us in Christ Jesus. I know, look, I, you love, if you're like, you love to fish. I love to fish. It's fun. Nothing wrong with having fun. Nothing wrong with it whatsoever. I love to fish. But fishing will never satisfy my soul. No matter how good at it, and I'm pretty good. No matter how good at it I am, fishing will never satisfy my soul. Some of us like uh, sporting events, and man, we're all in on sporting events. And sports, the teams we follow, the teams we love, and man, we're all in. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing at all. But it will never, ever satisfy your soul. Never lead you to the delight that you desperately long to know. Can't, it's not made that way. It can't do it. Some of you like uh, uh, to shop for the deal on Amazon or at the store and you find the deal and you're like, man, this is great. And it, 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 it's delightful. And I get it. It's, it is delightful, but it's, it'll never satisfy your soul. It's not, it's not built that way. You're built for something greater. The only thing that can satisfy your soul is God himself. And the only way that you live in permanent delight is pursuing the desires of your heart based upon God's design. So when God makes an invitation to you and to me, and he says, hey, listen, I want to give you the greatest delight, the sure mercies of David. But he begins by saying, hey, listen, if you're thirsty, I've got it. I got what you need. Um, I, 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 whatever the hunger of your soul, I've got what you need. His name is Jesus. Today, friends, I, I, again, I just need for you to hear me. I want us to be healthy. I really do. As followers of Jesus, we 
are healthy. When we stop trying to satisfy the deepest yearnings of our heart with lesser things than God himself. And what God wants us to hear today, I think, is that he makes an invitation for us um, to every thirsty soul. He says, hey, listen, I will satisfy every thirsty soul. I, I, if, you, if, you're, if you're desperate in, in thirst, I, I've got it for you. I've, I will satisfy uh, the thirst of every human heart, the hunger of every human heart. Now, uh, this is important for us because when we, when we live life in the real world, not, not preaching world, in the real world, we face things that will make us dissatisfied. Or we face things that might tempt us to find satisfaction in other places, uh, to find delight in a way that God has not designed. Now, we face this every day. Every day we're confronted with opportunities or ideas or philosophies or um, uh, personal ambitions that really are trying to satisfy a desire in a way that God has not designed. And we think it's going to lead to delight, but it will only lead to despair. So what God does, he says, hey, listen, everybody's thirsty. So let me offer satisfaction to you in your thirst. Imagine that you were going to go out on a ship and, 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 and it's only a, a, a three-hour tour. Whole generations have no idea what I'm talking about. But you just sit right back and I'll tell a tale, a tale of a fateful trip. It's the theme song of Gilligan's Island. Gilligan's Island is the story of a group of people, seven I think, that got, they went out on a three-hour tour on a ship and got stranded on a desert island. And uh, they were on that desert island for many years. They could make coconuts give out electricity, but they couldn't fix a hole in a boat. <laughs> Imagine you're on a desert island. Your ship is wrecked and you're on a desert island. You're stuck. And the sun is beating down, and you hear the ocean waters lapping up against the shore. And there's one thing you need. Water. Fresh water. And the longer you go without fresh water, the more thirsty you're going to become. The, the thirst becomes almost unbearable. It's everything you think about. You wake up, you're thinking, I'm thirsty. You go to bed at night, you think, I'm thirsty. All throughout the day, I am thirsty. Your body is telling you, hey, you're thirsty. You need to get me some water. In the midst of everyday life, every soul is thirsty. We're, we're thirsty. And God says, I know you're thirsty, and I will satisfy that thirst. And it's a satisfaction that comes through the grace of God. You remember the grace of God. Let me just kind of define it from our perspective as followers of Jesus. The grace of God can be described like this. In the Old Testament, it's God stooping over in an act of kindness to help those who can't help themselves. That's grace. Uh, you hear it in uh, Genesis uh, chapter 6, and Noah found favor with God. That Noah was graced 
by God. God did for Noah what Noah could not do for himself, saved him from the flood and his family. Um, so Noah found favor. That's grace. Uh, in the New Testament, grace carries an even greater, more specific picture for you and me. Um, and in Ephesians chapter 2, great passage on grace, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, tells us that we are dead because of our sin. You've sinned, I've sinned, we've all sinned. And because of our sin, we are dead. We are separated from God and we're headed for not only despair in everyday life, but we're headed for destruction. Verse 4 says, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ Jesus. By grace, you have been saved. Verses 8 and 9 says, you are saved by grace through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. All right, so what does grace do? Grace is the free gift of God um, to provide for us the forgiveness of sin that we need to bring us into the family of God. Grace is God doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. By sending Jesus, God become flesh who dwelt among us. Sending Jesus, fully God yet fully man, sending Jesus to die on a cross in our place for our sin so that the righteousness and the holiness of God might be satisfied in the righteousness and the holiness of Christ. Jesus took our sin, paid our punishment for our sin so that when we put our faith in Jesus, we are brought into God's family by his Holy Spirit. And that is not something you do. It's none of you. <laughs> it's all a grace. There's nothing that we can do to enter into God's heaven or his family. To experience the sure mercies of David. The everlasting covenant that he promises in verse Isaiah 50, uh, 55 verse 3. It's all God's grace. The acronym that I learned is a boy or a teenager, grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, grace, God's riches for us at Christ's expense. He died for us, Jesus did, to give us God's grace so that we might be satisfied. Everyone who thirsts, come and drink. He promises wine and milk and water to nourish, to quench, to exhilarate our soul. This is what God promises. But that satisfaction, that divine delight can only be experienced when we who are thirsty follow God's design for that thirst to be satisfied. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 6, which we're going to look at next week, John chapter 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never thirst. He who believes in me shall never hunger. Or he who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst again. And Jesus is the way that we are satisfied. That's the point. Because Jesus is the way we enter into God's family and God himself satisfies, offers this satisfaction for every thirsty soul. 
So, this is key. We all want these desires to be transformed into delights. Now, all of us. That's not sinful. That's the way we were wired. It only becomes sinful when we decide to fulfill these desires in a way that is not by God's design. And that's what verse 2 is talking about. See, God offers satisfaction for the thirsty soul, but uh, in order for us to be satisfied, we need to cut out the dangerous diet that leads to despair. We need to cut out the dangerous diet that uh, leads to our despair. The dangerous diet is sin. Anytime we seek to fulfill a God-given desire in a way that God has not designed, that is called sin. And I know you're acquainted with sin, as am I, but sometimes we don't like to acknowledge that sin is simply replacements for what God has offered. That, that's really what it is. So, all right, so I've got a desire in my dating relationship, and, and I know God's design gives parameters on what that dating relationship should look like, but I'm going to ignore those parameters, and I'm going to try to satisfy this desire in a way that God has not designed. And we wonder why we're so miserable in that relationship. And we wonder why that, that relationship leaves us thirsty. We wonder why that relationship is incomplete and dissatisfying. It's because we're trying to satisfy a desire, God-given desire, in a way that God has not designed. That leads to despair, not delight. Same thing works in your church, uh, in, in your work. And, and as you work and, and, and you, 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 you have this desire, I want to be successful at work or I want to, uh, I, I want to do well at work or I want to make the... Uh, money that will provide for my family at work or, you know, any of those things. That's not bad. There's nothing bad with any of those things. But in order to fulfill that desire to be a provider for your home or, or whatever, you start trying to satisfy that desire in a way that is inconsistent with the design of God so that you love your work more than you love your family. That, that is inconsistent with God's desire and his design, so that you uh, pursue your work uh, even at the expense of your neighbor. Now listen, even at the expense of your neighbor. Do you realize that is contrary to God's design? As followers of Jesus, we're to love our neighbor as ourselves, right? So we've got, to, we've got to evaluate those things. So why are we dissatisfied with our work? Well, are we loving our work more than we love God or more than we love our neighbor? Or, you know, are we loving our, our work in, in a, or, or pursuing our work in a way that is contrary to some of the codes that God has laid out in his word? There's a design for us to do work. The Bible's not given to us just so we can open it up on a Sunday morning and say, oh, that was nice. The Bible was given to us so that we might know God's design for how to fulfill his desires. That's part of it. So we've got to cut out the dangerous diet. Now, the reason I call it a dangerous diet is because uh, um, there are things you've got to stop eating in order to experience the joy and the delight that God has designed for us. Um, I, I don't know how many of y'all have ever dieted. 
dieted, dieted. Um, uh, there, there's a thing called intermittent fasting, intermittent fasting. Have y'all heard that? Intermittent, intermittent fasting. I don't know if it's good or bad. I don't care. Uh, but my, here's the way I do my life every day, pretty much every day, except this last week. But my life pretty much every day uh, is I wake up, I have coffee uh, uh, with uh, Edie, and I go, uh, I go to uh, work, and I have more coffee, and I work. And then at the, uh, at, then I uh, brew me a cup of coffee and I come home uh, and, and then I have my first meal of the day somewhere around six or seven or somewhere in there. I don't eat breakfast. I don't eat lunch. I eat that evening meal. Again, I don't know if that's good or bad, but here's what I do know. If someone were to say to me, Eric, uh, I want you to start intermittent fasting. Well, I kind of do that already. You know, I, I don't eat from, from the time I get up until six in the afternoon. I don't eat. But if somebody says, Eric, I want you to start intermittent fasting, I guarantee you I start getting hungry at 10 o'clock. I'll lose my mind at two o'clock. I will want to eat and eat and eat. As it stands now, I'm fine. So don't anybody come up and say, Eric, you need to start intermittent fasting. Isn't that the way it is for us? We know that there are some things that God has designed for us not to touch, not to do, not to taste. We we know that. There's sin, and we need to run away from it, but we don't. That's why in verse uh, 2, God says, why do you spend money on what is not bread, your wages, for what does not satisfy? He said, you're chasing after something called sin that will never satisfy. You think of yourself on, on that desert island again. So you're on the desert island, and you, you can't find any fresh water, but you've got a whole ocean filled with salt water. And you look at that salt water, and you say, well, it's wet. It looks like water to drink. But the minute you start drinking salt water, the, you immediately start dehydrating your body. Salt water dehydrates you. It kills the cells. It makes you thirstier. It doesn't quench thirst. It does the opposite. Because your cells can't, can't adequately deal with seawater. Seawater is four times more uh, filled with sodium and chloride than, than uh, regular salt that you'd put in, in a glass. Uh, but, and so that it can't handle all that sodium. And so it start, the cells start shrinking because the water leaves the cell and tries to balance it out. How am I doing? I'm doing pretty good on that. Google is wonderful. Anyway. So you look at all that salt water makes you thirstier. It, it, it shrinks your cells. It doesn't quench your thirst. And yet some of us in life, we're trying to satisfy the desires and lead them to delight, but we're doing it not according to God's design, and that's like drinking salt water. We're buying bread that's not bread. Sin is the salt water to our soul. We take hold of it and we drink it and we say, this is going to satisfy, but it always, 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 always leads to despair and devastation. That's what sin does. If you're like me, you need to talk to yourself about your sin. I have talked to myself about my sin. Uh, And just stop it. 
Have you ever, have you ever done that to yourself? Here's this sin, and, and I see that sin, and that's the sin that comes up, and I just stop it. Well, we all face sin like that. Every day, we know sin is destructive. But, but here's what, here's what we, we realize. Even Paul dealt with it. He says, man, I'm a miserable wretch. The things I know I shouldn't do, those are the things I'm doing. The things I know I should do, I'm not doing those things. What a miserable wretch I am. He was saying to himself, just stop it. When it comes to sin, we need to acknowledge that it's something that we need to stop. Cut it out. It's a dangerous diet that leads to disaster. It's salt water for the soul. So how do you cut it out as a follower of Jesus? By the way, as a follower of Jesus, you just need to follow Jesus. And I know that sounds simplistic, but that's really what it comes down to. If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to start following Jesus. When we follow Jesus, he leads us to fulfill these desires in a way that God has designed. That's why God offers satisfaction for a thirsty soul in the person of Jesus. That's an act of his grace. And we can cut out the dangerous diet that leads to despair um, by God's grace, but that grace flows to us through Jesus. So, number three, we need to come to Christ and find our soul's delight. Look, if you're a follower of Jesus... Follow Jesus. Again, the good news is that when we follow Jesus, he helps us <laughs> to stop it. I, I want you to look at the end of verse 2 and then verse 3. He says, listen carefully. God says, listen carefully to me. Eat what is good. Let your soul delight itself in abundance. Verse 3, incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live, and I'll make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Now, he, just a few things and can't deal with all of it, but I just want you to see. He's talking about the Messiah. He's saying, he's saying listen, if you're going to be satisfied, if you're going to have your thirsty soul satisfied, then, then you've got to come to Jesus because that brings you into the family of God. But, but he adds these phrases, these, these commands. He says, listen carefully. Are you listening to God about your life? Are you listening to God about your habits, your, your attitudes, your actions, your words, your, your conduct? Are, are you listening to God about what you um, uh, digest for your soul, not just for your body? Listen carefully to me. He says, eat what is good. He's not talking about food here. He's talking about your soul. Eat what is good. He's saying, he's saying I'm offering you stuff that will satisfy, to, that will lead to delight. If you listen to me, listen to me, eat what is good, listen to me, let your soul delight itself in abundance. So God wants to give you delight that overflows, but it comes through Jesus. Look at verse 3, incline your ear and come to me. Incline your ear, that's another way, listen to me. Let my words be the loudest voice in your ear, God says. Listen to me and come to me. Hear Another word for here is obey. Here, and you will live. Live there is a, a, a metaphor more than just um, breathing air. It's, it's breathing life. It's experiencing delight. It's life in all of its fullness. The very thing that we were made to enjoy, delightful living. And God promises when we come to him. 
So, a couple of things. If you're a follower of Jesus, I just want you to hear this. If you're a follower of Jesus, follow Jesus. That's the third time I've said it. Fourth time. If you're a follower of Jesus, follow Jesus. He will empower you. He will strengthen you. He will direct your steps. He will guide you. He will help you. He will strengthen you. He will will intercede for you. He will do what you need in order to satisfy this desire according to God's design so that you might have delight. Follow Jesus. Follower of Jesus, if you're going to follow Jesus, I want you to hear three words that are very important. Okay, To follow Jesus, we must humble ourselves before him. He, he says, incline your ear, listen to me, come and hear me. He, he's saying, listen, I've got the answers you don't, so listen to me. Humble yourself before God. If you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to humble yourself before God. Understand that he is God and you are not. He is the boss and you are not. Humble yourself before God. The second thing, second word, humble, similar word, submit. Submit to God. Submit to his rule over you. It means that you've got to give up the reins of your life and let God reign. If you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to humble yourself. You've got to submit to God. And then the third word, similar to humble and submit, the third is obey. You've got to obey his commands. To live life according to God's design means that we open God's word and we do it. Obey it. Follow it. God's word is the filter over how we live. And if God's word is the filter through, every, through which every decision we have is made, then the end result will always be honoring God and delight in life. Hallelujah. Obey. Humble yourself. Submit to God. Obey him. Uh, Old Testament, those three words would be summarized in one phrase. Fear the Lord. To fear him. To live your life as a follower of Jesus, you got to follow Jesus. So today, here's what I just, for every follower in the room, a follower of Jesus in the room and everybody online, I just, can I, can I ask you, is there sin in your life that you haven't cut out or you're refusing to cut out, today is the day to cut it out. Today is the day. It could be words that you say. It could be thoughts that you think. It could be places that you go. It could be anything that, where you're trying to satisfy a, 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 a God-given desire in, an, in a way that God has not designed. It can be your sexual ethic. It can be your uh, ambitious uh, work, at, uh, ambition at work. It can be, uh, it, it can be um, uh, how you uh, speak to people um, it, or talk about people. It could be a whole host of things. But today's the day. You, I invite you to join me in stopping it. Cut it out. Now, that's not a one and done, by the way. It's not a one and done. It's a, it's a one and do it over and over and over and over and over again. I mean, every day throughout the day. You got to cut it out constantly. Confession is your friend. Repentance is delightful itself. 
But let's start here. Let's start now. Let's not just say, oh, this is how I want to do life. No. Don't settle for despair when you can have delight. Come to Jesus and cut out the diet of dangerous appetites that lead to despair. So that's for followers of Jesus. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, and I haven't explained this adequately, I know. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, what I mean by that is you are here today and there is some disconnect between you and God and you recognize it. And uh, you may be religious or moral or whatever, but there has never been a time where your heart has been changed, where your mind has been transformed, where you've moved from darkness to light, and where, uh, where uh, you have experienced life instead of death in the deepest parts of your soul. Again, I'm not talking about being a Baptist. I'm not talking about I'm not talking about being religious or moral. I'm talking about a relationship with God. Until you turn from your sin and trust in Jesus as your only hope for life, for forgiveness of sin and being part of God's family, till you trust Jesus, then you're not part of God's family. You're, you're, you're just a religious, moral person. Now, if that's a description of who you are, I invite you today to embrace Jesus. By faith. For the very first time, cross the line of faith and become a follower of Jesus. Now, if you want to know more about what that means, I invite you to um, uh, come and talk to one of the ministers here at the close of the worship gathering while we're singing together. Or uh, encourage you to uh, text Jesus to the number on the screen or email pa uh, pastor at firstnorfolk.org. Or uh, you can go and talk to one of the min uh, ministers at the uh, next step station right in the grand lobby. But if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I beg you, don't let another minute pass until you enter into God's family through the grace that God offers by placing your faith in Jesus. You know, today, the whole message really does center around this simple concept, the, the biblical truth, that when we do life God's way, we have delight. When we do life not God's way, we have despair. Let's move from despair to delight today. Let's live life God's way. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, right now, as we have gathered in your name and as you have spoken clearly through your word, more clearly by your spirit speaking than me, I pray that you would lead us as followers of Jesus to repentance first and foremost. That that we would be brought um, to hu humility and submission and obedience before you, holy God. Give uh, those you've called your own, part of your family, if, if they need to come to this altar, give them the courage to do that. Or if they need to talk to a minister, give them the courage to do that. But most of all, let us deal with our sin. Stop spending our life for that which is not even bread. Father, I pray for every person online or in the room who is not yet part of your family through faith in Christ, I pray that you give them the courage and the faith that they need to say yes to you in this moment. 
to cry out to you by faith, to text or email or talk to one of the ministers here. Now, Father, I pray that you would be glorified in these next few moments, that you do a mighty work of your grace among us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.